Hello folks, this is Chopping It Up with CJ. I'm your host, Chris James, and this is Weekside Wednesday. So what are we doing Weekside Wednesdays? We cover storylines from the week prior. We also go over each game. We kind of assess, you know, the keys to victory that I had, the, the final score, all the metrics that have to do with, uh, you know, the betting odds that go on and see how well we did. And like I said, we assess storylines, and sometimes I'll have more stuff to talk about than others, uh, but you'll definitely get at least a recap of each of the games from the week prior. And this is the fifth episode of Weekside Wednesdays, so we'll be going over and recapping what we saw in the third week of the NFL season. You know, we're, we're rolling up on being almost a quarter through the season. We're definitely 20% through it so far, and you know, some things are starting to shape out. But... You know, I, I, I got to go into this. You know, maybe it's a weekly thing, but guess what? It becomes this weekly thing because some people make it have to be a weekly thing. You know, full disclosure, I didn't watch the Monday night game last night because honestly, I just didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like watching the Monday night game. I wanted some personal time, so I took some to myself. And what I did do is wake up to, in some respects, either a fantasy football victory, Right? kudos maybe I also lost what I woke up to is just a lot of conversation some of the same regurgitated BS that's just attached to certain quarterbacks every damn year some positively for some quarterbacks some negatively but I'm gonna go with the guy who I have an affinity for not just because he happens to be a black quarterback but because this is a dude who even if I don't know him on a personal level Members of my family have known him since he was in middle school. One of the hardest workers that my cousin said she ever came across. Got to Alabama. Hard as hell worker. Oklahoma, same thing. And, you know, now he's an eagle. And I'm talking about Jalen Hurts. And so I had to put out a tweet today to disprove some of the foolishness that's going on with uh, Jalen Hurts. And again, I saw the highlights. Because what I do is I try to watch at least the highlights of every game. If I can't watch the game, I watch the highlights. And I watched it. And from the highlights, it didn't look like he played well. I'll say that. I'll admit that. And the the game flow might have shown me more of him not playing well. But the reason I want to get into this is because there is this thing that seems to go along with scouting that gets applied to quarterbacks and I've fallen fallen victim to it too and I'm trying to get myself out of doing it for just certain guys and that's the application of hope the application that you can actually grow and become better and there's a lot of guys who don't look like me that don't don't attach hope to guys that do look like me and I like I said I have fell victim in the past to that as well and I'm trying to correct that because it's BS and I can't call people out for their I can't call people out for their BS if I'm doing the same thing too that's hypocrisy And I'm trying my best at this stage of life to not be that. I have been that in the past. I think a decent number of us have been. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into this. So I sent a tweet out earlier today because it frustrated me to see people from a fan perspective probably more likely calling Jalen Hurts trash or analysts saying, well, I just don't see it. So this man in less than 10 starts, seven starts, to be honest, is trash. I'm going to throw these numbers out real quick. So if you don't follow them, don't worry about it. 57.6% completion percentage, 7.3 yards per adjusted yards per attempt, which means it gets rid of stuff like Hail Marys and crap like that that don't really count. This is for true throws. 
11 touchdowns, six interceptions, 86.1 rating, and a 41 QPR. Okay, that's Jalen Hurts in seven games. Not great, but let's go on to the, the, the number one and number two picks of the 2021 class. So in three games, Trevor Lawrence, 54.2% completions, 3.8 adjusted yards per attempt, five touchdowns, seven interceptions, 60.3 rating, and a 23.1% uh, 23.1 QBR. That's atrocious. Okay, but guess what? It gets worse because the number two pick, Zach Wilson, in three games, 55.2%. Only place where he actually beats anyone in this doggone situation. 3.4 yards, adjusted yards per attempt. Two touchdowns, seven interceptions, 51.6 rating, and a 21.9 uh, QBR. So if Justin fails in seven games, and yes, it's more than twice as many, is trash, what the heck are they? I'll tell you what they are. They're all young quarterbacks who need some support. They, they're all on teams that are not Super Bowl contenders. Now, the Eagles may have more talent than some of those other teams, at least from the perspective of being able to win games because the Jags have a lot of young talent. But again, they're young. The Jets, they don't have as much talent. But again, what are you going to do? All I'm saying is I'm willing to give all three of these young men a chance to actually show that they can be good because... If Jalen Hurts has not been able to show it in seven games, you should just kick Trevor Lawrence and especially Zach Wilson out the league because apparently they're the worst quarterbacks to ever play. So start giving some doggone hope and want these guys to actually be successful instead of talking so negatively of them. And just for shits and giggles, yes, I said it just like that. I went to a guy who matches the city that he plays in. And while I'm saying that is because to me, Jalen Hurts is Philly. Tough, grimy. A worker, gonna get the job done, shows up and does what he needs to do. To me, that's Philly and that's Jalen Hurts. The guy I'm about to talk about matched his city and that's why I liked him going to this city because I knew they would support him. And this guy started 12 games as a rookie and here were his numbers, the numbers I just rattled off. He completed 52.8% of his completions, less than Jalen Hurts. This guy had an average depth of three how bad was this? We're going to go to the adjusted. Yep. The adjusted air yards, 4.37. So apparently he was throwing more check downs than Jalen Hurts is. Uh, let's see. What's the next stat? Uh, touchdowns. He had 10 of those. 10 passing touchdowns and 12 starts. Really good. He also had 12 interceptions in those 12 starts. Hey, one to one. Getting the job done. He had a quarterback rating. actually don't have the quarterback rating. You know what? I'm just going to move on to the QBR because the QBR is what tells the story, right? His rating was a, a 67.9, but his QBR was a 49.8. Now, QBR is a measurement of how much did you contribute to the success of the offense? And yes, for those who've told me it doesn't include rushing, it does. It's what does the quarterback do to move you forward, period. And this guy did a really good job with his legs and I'm not against that. When you're a young quarterback and you're trying to win games, sometimes you use your legs. I wish they'd let Jalen Hurts use his more until he gets acclimated to being a more refined passer. The guy I'm talking about who matches his city and balled out last year is Josh Allen. The difference is when people spoke about Josh Allen, who never put anything on film that said he would be successful except for being physically gifted, they had hope. They had hope. They had hope. Jalen Hurts has always been a winner. 
And people can refer back to, uh, you know, the national championship where he got taken out. And like I told people, Tua got to come in and do something different. If they got the game plan for Tua, I don't think it would have gone as well for him. And if you want to be candid, one of the first passes he threw, he threw directly at a Georgia defender and hit him in the chest and the dude dropped it. Or you can mention that Jalen Hurts still had issues as a passer when he was at Oklahoma. And people remember the struggles against LSU. You know who played an objectively worse game that season against LSU and, by the way, had a better team that was also favored? It's the number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence, who got smoked as far as a head-to-head matchup against Joe Burrow. And in that second half was the reason that they lost that game. He couldn't throw the ball. They couldn't move the ball because of him. And they relinquished a 10-point lead because he could not score. Does that mean that Trevor Lawrence is trash? Absolutely not. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be really good. What I'm saying is, man, instead of being so aggressive against this guy, and oh, I'm about to call one person out. I'm going off on this rant because I'm tired of hearing this guy not willing to do anything except be negative, it seems like, against him. And this is Chris Sims. You know, I've listened to him talk about Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, and Zach Wilson. And what's best described is glowing terms. He wasn't worried about what happened this weekend with Zach Wilson. He doesn't have anyone who can get separation except for a top five picket receiver who had two touchdowns in week one at Corey Davis. Never mind that. He's not worried about uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence, who threw the worst pick I've seen this entire year off of a flea flicker on second and six, up by two at home in a winnable game where he just said, hey, YOLO, but he's not worried. And then we get to Mac Jones. He's not worried about that guy. And all I can say is Mac Jones has been Mac Jones. That's not an insult. It's just, it's actually an excellent thing. What he showed to me on film, both positive and negative, he looks exactly like that for the Patriots. Kudos to you for playing exactly like the person you are. And again, that's not shade. That's the expectation. But when he talks about Jalen Hurts, he really gives him credit. Rather, he says, week one, well, they set him up for success. Gotcha. And then he did something that really, really pissed me off. And you can go check this because this is why you need to do your own research instead of just trusting some people. He straight up lied. Case in point, in week two, Hertz completed a pass on the right sideline, 40 yards down the field, and went for a 90-yard play. Didn't score a touchdown, but it was a big play out of his own zone. He said, and he said this on multiple episodes of his podcast yeah i'm going straight at him on this that the db fell down fell down and that the throw wasn't impressive because the db fell down okay you want to know why it's a lie because the db never fell down in fact he did stumble but he never got less than three yards away from the receiver furthermore a bad throw from your own three yard line that's caught at the 42 yard line in which the receiver does not break stride to me, is an impressive throw. Now, I don't know. Maybe I'm stupid. But to me, it's an impressive throw. And it would have been a TD if it was not for the effort of number three, Jaqueski Tart, busting his tail to get over there to stop the touchdown, which would have been a 97-yarder. But you don't, want to, you don't believe what I'm saying? Here's why video helps with people who don't know what they're saying and want to just lie. You can go to YouTube. Look the highlights up. The Week 2 contest, the Eagles versus the 49ers. Go directly to the 4 minute and 20 second mark. Start from there. The catch is made at 4 minutes and 25 seconds. You'll get to see exactly what I described, which is the truth. 
versus what Chris Sims has consistently said, which is just a lie. I don't know why he dislikes Jalen Hurts. Maybe it's because he's gotten so many people in his mentions that Jalen Hurts wasn't in his top 40. But hey, don't be butthurt, bro. Move past it. Be better. Do better. End rant. So this 2021 rookie class, honestly, it looks like trash. But do I think it's trash? Absolutely not. These are rookies. And when you're picked by a team that is devoid of consistency or talent, right? The Jets don't have a lot of talent. They have some talented players, but they're either Corey Davis, which people consistently for some reason think isn't good. And then they have other young receivers. And you have a coaching staff that honestly, they they know the people in the building better than I do. But healthy scratches of guys like Denzel Mims and not giving the ball to Michael Carter makes me think that maybe you need some assistance. And then you have what's going on in Jacksonville. Bad situations. Again, Mac Jones, the good and the bad. The good, Mac Jones is going to throw it. And I'm, this was my description. That was a catchable ball. He has great placement, good anticipation. The bad. Mac Jones needs things to be clean and clear. Otherwise, Mac Jones is below average to bad. And you saw that in this game against the Saints. We can blame the line if we want to. There were a lot of scary throws to the point where I vividly remember him throwing a pass where he didn't get hit, but he closed his eyes and yelled, anticipating the hit. And the hit came after the throw was out. Mac Jones is Mac Jones. Mac Jones, if things are clean, if the 49ers had Mac Jones in that Super Bowl, I think they actually win that game because he would have completed that deep ball that Jimmy Garoppolo didn't. But it's because everything was set up perfectly. See, when things aren't, he can't improvise, at least not at this stage of his career. And to expect him to do that means you didn't watch Mac Jones in college. Justin Fields, honestly, he looked horrible. Part of that was on him. And here's the only part that's on him, and I need him, if he does start next game, to say, bump it. He needs to go try to do what clearly Bridgewater and Tyrod Taylor were doing this year, where you just don't worry about it. Man, just go play. There were some throws where he just needed to let go of the ball. But they were few and far between. That game plan was trash. It was. It, it was. it was awful, right? Terrible, awful game plan. But I'd like to keep it 100. About 20% of that was on Justin Fields. He needs to let the ball go. Trust yourself. You got a big arm, dude, and we know you're a baller. Go out and just let it rip. Do what you did when you came in in relief in the first week. It was almost like the stage, I don't want to say got too big for him. And if that's the case, I'd be I'd be surprised since that doesn't really seem like it affects him. But maybe it did get too big for him. And like he tried to be perfect in a far from perfect scenario. Because I thought that the Bears had a good chance to win this week. I picked him to win because I know the dynamic talent that he is. And I know the frustration that comes from having to play against a dynamic talent when treated like one. So... What do I think of the first round picks? And again, Trey Lance, he can't be assessed this year. I mean, unless there's an injury to Jimmy Garoppolo, there's no way that guy's coming in. Or unless the 49ers just go in the the dumpster. But the four rookie quarterbacks, honestly, I have hope for all four. They have, even in looking bad, I have hope for them that they'll improve that. The two who have looked horrific, they're being allowed to make mistakes. And that's cool. I think you learn from mistakes and learn from adversity. I think Trevor Lawrence needed some adversity because he's never faced it in his football life. I don't know him personally, but in his football life, 
It's always been perfect for him. Zach Wilson. I said this, and I believe what I'm saying, but I also believe the guys I work with. Guy I work with, Gene Clemens. He's not a Zach Wilson fan. He doesn't think he's awful. He just doesn't think he's that good. And if you looked at his 2019 tape, I concur. He wasn't good. Now, we can make whatever excuse we want to, but if you're going to make those excuses, then you have to make them apply to 2020, where everything was perfect. And a dude who throws the ball well in shirt and shorts was able to do that because he basically didn't get hit, except in that Coastal Carolina game when he did get hit. All I'm saying is, with young players, no matter how they look, no matter where they play, I don't expect you to do this as a fan, but I would appreciate it if you gave an effort. Give them some hope. Try to use nuance. But that's not for you to do. It's not your job. You're a fan. But for these people who get paid money, or even if they do it as a labor of love, hold them to a higher standard to actually do their job well, because a guy who in general, I've been a supporter of his work more than a lot of guys that I talk to who don't support his work. And Chris Sims, I think has been mediocre at best this year in his assessments because he's been so oddly unfair from a guy that I did not expect that to come from. And the last topic I want to discuss is actually something off of this, but it's surprising to me because it's a uh, it's making me look like a moron right now, but you know what? Things happen. Sometimes you got to throw yourself under the bus. It's the surprising West. The two teams that I said had a good chance to make it to the Super Bowl when I was looking at preseason stuff and just going through everything. Kansas City and Seattle are both one and two. And they're both one and two looking different ways. See, I, I still have confidence in, Seattle, in Kansas City, I should say, because Kansas City, the two losses they have look like they were pressing. And I think they were pressing because week one happened. So let me explain this really quickly so I can get to the games. In week one, Kansas City played the game I expect Kansas City to play because that's the game they always play. Let, let's see you come out. Let you do some things. We're going to figure these things out. Not give you too much. And then the second half, boom, explosion. And the Browns fell for the banana in the tailpipe. And the Browns went full Browns. Again, I think they can get past that. But it was an early game where all these things were put on you and Kansas City was ready for that moment and the Browns weren't. But it seems like the Browns learned from that and they've won the last two weeks and however they won. Seems like Kansas City still thought they were in the same place because that Baltimore game, kudos to Lamar Jackson and the rest of those guys for making a comeback. But Kansas City went Kansas City. Mahomes tried to be magical and he threw a dumb pick. That's abnormal. But I thought, okay, aberration. This past game, they thoroughly, in my opinion, tell me if I'm wrong, you can go look at it. They outplayed, they outplayed the Charger. Like the game should have been a blowout. Move the ball down the field, left, right, up, down, select, start, all that. But you can't turn the ball over three straight times. You can't, you know, Mahomes is trying to be super Mahomes instead of just being simple Mahomes. And that, and it went off the rails. You know? So, what do you do? I think they'll get back to, to normal and get back to business and be fine. But Seattle? I think there's a real problem there. Because Seattle has been up big in all these games. And if it wasn't for the fact the Colts have 
what they have on their roster, maybe they come back too. Because you saw a competent team come back and punch them in the mouth, and then I have no clue what the heck's going on with the defense, the offense late in the games. They look horrible. And then you had a competent quarterback again in Kirk Cousins. And they came back. How are you up like 17-7 and then you lose 30-17? to How are you up 30 to either 13 or 16 and you lose in overtime 33-30? to Like, So I'm worried about Seattle. They got to get some stuff fixed. And I don't know what's going to fix it for them, but they got to go and get some YOLO throws on offense. I'm not even saying on defense. Go and get it on offense because I have no clue what's going to change that for them. But they got to do something different. And on the Kansas City side, I think they'll be completely fine. So let's go ahead and jump into these games. Again, when we go over the games, I quickly touch on kind of the, the, the overview X factors slash uh, keys to victory for each team. And then I'll go into the final score, how well I did on the betting lines and my confidence score on those. And then what I'll also do is just, if I have any additional information, some games I might talk more about because I saw more of it, because I actually saw the physical game. Others, I saw the highlights. So I'm speaking as a person who didn't get the chance to watch the full three hours. Sorry. So the first one's the Thursday night game, just recapping this. Um, Carolina Panthers travel to Houston, play against the Texans. And you know, the Panthers, to to some extent, did what I thought they were gonna do. They tried to get the game over quickly. Uh, The Texans, they didn't fully do what I thought they were going to do, but that Carolina defense played well. They didn't run as much as I would have liked to run. They let Davis Mills throw the ball too much. Who, again, Davis Mills looked like a competent guy. Again, I, I think he's a backup quarterback in the NFL. Uh, that's what I saw on film. But potential and hope. Some guys get it. Other guys don't. But all I wish him is good luck. The good thing is he looked competent, and that's a big thing in a situation like He's currently a rookie coming in in a game where a defense is flying at you. He looked fine. So my prediction was 27-16, Panthers. Final score was 24-9, Panthers. So this is my lock of the week. I had them covering that eight-point spread. I put a confidence level of 10 on it. I was stamp it uh, that they were going to do it. And I'm four for four at this point on my my, uh, lock it ins. Because the Panthers covered by by 15. They they uh they covered the spread by seven, but because they won by 15, I should say. Uh the over-under was 43. My prediction had been even. So I said don't touch it. It's too good of a line. But the under came in there. And again, the Panthers just held them down. Um kudos to them for th- being three and oh. Um the other thing that I saw as a side note, there's a lot of talk about Sam Darnold playing really well this season. And I do believe against the Saints, he diced them up. But the other two games, this one, I think it was an average to above average game played by quarterback. Uh, he missed some open throws, uh, including with a clean pocket on a deep over. Not even a deep over. It was it, it was just an arrow through the middle of the defense. DJ Moore is going to stroll into the end zone, and he overthrew him by a couple of yards. Um, not good, but they didn't need that. And I think he'll learn from that. It's not like he went out and egregiously did anything. He just... He just hasn't been great yet, but he's been, he shows you that he's worth being a starting quarterback in the NFL and he does have some upside. So good for him. All right. The 1 PM games. So the first one I want to talk about is the new Orleans saints at the new England Patriots, baby. So happy for this game's outcome. 
I don't hide the fact that I'm a fan, but what I try my best to do, even if I don't always accomplish it, is I try to push my fandom to the side to, to give real analysis. Uh, you can even ask friends. I predicted the Patriots to win this game in a very close one because I didn't know how the Saints would come out with having still some of their staff missing. But apparently they got back five out of the eight that were missing. They got back some of the defensive players that were out. And they uh, did the job. Uh, so for the Patriots, they did not do what I asked them to do. I said, you got to take some downfield shots. They refused to let Mac Jones take downfield shots. People can talk all they want to about the talent, but you know, I feel like Nelson Aguilar was considered the best deep threat by the metrics in football last year when he played with Derek Carr, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you got fast guys there too. You got Janu Smith who, for a tight end, you can flex him out and they'll probably bring a linebacker out with him. And guess what? He runs pretty fast, so you can get some one-on-ones with that, but hey, maybe I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Uh, and then the Saints, they used Taysom Hill with Jameis. I, did, I didn't like some of the times they brought him in, but I like that they brought him in together. I think that they can integrate Taysom Hill back into this offense and can be a use, useful part uh, to it. So my prediction was 23-21 Patriots, but it was 28-13 Saints. Again, happy about that outcome, baby. Uh, as far as the betting odds and the line and everything on this game, um, I had a conference level of seven of the Saints covering, and they clearly covered because they won straight up. The Pats were favored, by the way. Uh, the over-under was 42, but I, I had the over with my score. I gave a confidence of three. I just didn't see it. Uh, told you not to touch this, and the under was under by one point. Again, these some of these lines are really good. So that was my call on the game. Now onto a game that I only saw the highlights of, and I wish I hadn't. The Washington football team at the Buffalo Bills. Because my prediction was the Bills winning, but only by seven. I thought the Washington football team would be more competent. And Josh Allen came out and balled, baby. 43-21, to 21, the Bills won. And it wasn't that close from the highlights, honestly. Just some garbage time stuff, but it, was, it didn't feel like it was close. Especially when I was just seeing it on a ticker, and I'm like, good goodness. Uh, so... I had the football team covering here. Not much confidence on it, though. I think I have it a five, um, which, you know, that's a toss-up. You pick it if you want to. The Bills covered by 22. <laughs> so they put a whipping on them. The over-under here, uh, I had more confidence. I had a seven on it. It was 45.5. I was like, look, they're going to put up points. And they did. The over covered by a lot. Uh, biggest outcome on this one is, honestly, Washington's got to fix some stuff. They need to go find a quarterback, man. They got to stop BSing. Even if they don't go after a Cam Newton, they got to go and do something. Make a trade. Get a young guy in there. The Ravens might not give him up, but go after Brett Huntley. Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. Yes. Go after Huntley. Tyler Huntley. Uh, he balled out in the preseason. Go down to Carolina and go after P.J. Walker. I know he might not fit your mold, but guess what? He balls out. And if you want someone that fits your mold a little better, the height, weight, measurable guy... Go to Denver and go get doggone Drew Locke. At least he's better than what they have in the building, even when Ryan Fitzpatrick comes back. All right, Chicago playing against the Browns. So this one was very disappointing, and I saw a lot of this game. Um, I had the Bears winning this one. I thought that Brandon Justin Fields kind of like it had the same feel to me as the game when the Saints lost to the Eagles last year. But the Eagles had a much better game plan than what the Bears put out there. I'm not going to harp on it because, be honest, it's just going to make me mad. But that was a pathetic game plan. Um, and Justin Fields just didn't play well either. Combination of the two. So the Browns won this one pretty convincingly, 26-6. to Honestly, early on, it was almost like the Browns, it served up as a game the Bears are supposed to win, and they just didn't take advantage. The Browns going forward on fourth down for no reason twice. 
one of them just made no sense whatsoever. Uh, the other one, they could have kicked the field goal. But, you know, had the Bears covering this and actually had some confidence in this. Um, luckily, I didn't make a lock, but the Browns covered easily, so I would have lost some money there. Uh, the over-under on this had the over, but again, confidence of five. The under hit at 32. The Ravens and the Detroit Lions. Look, man, look, I didn't get to see the game, but I heard about it and I saw the highlights. Man, oh, man. See, letdown games happen enough. I'm wondering if the statistics would come in like this, but I think letdown games happen probably about 45% of the time. People would like for you to think letdown games are 60, 70% of the time. No, good teams usually keep going, but letdown games happen at a higher percentage. It's kind of like Kobe Bryant being a clutch shooter. Kobe might have been remembered as a clutch shooter. It's just that Kobe had a higher percentage of making terrible, terrible, awful shots. So it's the same thing. When you have a team that should blow out a team, like the Ravens should blow out the Lions, the games get a lot closer than they should be or sometimes get lost. So that's why it seems like letdown games happen a whole bunch. But I think it's probably like 30, 40% at max uh, that letdown games, quote unquote, happen. So I had the Ravens winning 31 to 21. Uh, That means I had them covering, but I only had a confidence level of five on this. And my rationale was, again, less of a letdown than it was. They might play a little close to the vest, protect Lamar. And I think that they would have maybe not blown them out, but they would have definitely given a better effort if they would have, I don't know, had guys catching the ball. (laughs) Good goodness. But hey, more of an anomaly than anything. And kudos to Justin Tucker for being uh, carrying around a wheelbarrow. That's all I'm going to say like that. Uh, And over under, it was 50. Uh, I had the over by my score, but only a confidence level of five again. I kind of told you stay away from this game from a betting perspective. It was a trap game from that perspective more than it would be for the Ravens losing. But the Lions, who might have gotten jobbed with a bad call, ended up losing this game. And that's what counts on the scoreboard. And that's unfortunate for a team that I think is going to play really, really tough for their coach for the entire season. Next up is the Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans in a game that, honestly, I saw parts of it because I was in an establishment where I could see multiple games. This didn't feel as close as the score is. And I had a prediction of 28-20 to 20 for the Titans, and the final score was pretty close of a mar- to that margin, 25-16, to 16, and again, it didn't feel that close. The Titans were a five-point favorite. I said I didn't understand why it was only five points, uh, so I had a confidence level of eight on it, and the Titans covered pretty easily. Uh, the over-under was 48. I had an even number as my final score, so I told you stay away from this. The under hit on it, and again, it's easy to say the under was going to hit on this, but honestly, I could have seen the Titans blowing them out and getting near the over-under, <laughs> getting in the 40s, and the Colts getting some garbage time. People, you, you got to... That's how people lose bets often, is garbage time. Um, not competitive or well-played games. All right, so the next one up is the Los Angeles Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs, and boy, oh boy, I discussed it earlier. Can't turn the ball over four times. You can't be Magic Mahomes all the time. And though he, his numbers are really good, and I think that he is cold as hell now. And let me jump into this one. I'm going off the rails on this, but I want to talk about Justin Herbert. I got referred to as being a racist for not saying Justin Fields, uh, uh, Justin Herbert was this transcendent talent last year when he was coming out. Why? Because I watched the tape, and a lot of it wasn't that impressive. He made a lot of poor choices. And it wasn't really poor choices as much as... Sometimes it seemed like Justin Herbert just 
refused to throw the ball with touch when he should. Or he just made bad decisions late in games, but early in games he did it fine. And it was interesting that the only game where I was really impressed with Justin Herbert as a player was his last one against Wisconsin. And it wasn't for what he's doing now. It's not like Justin Herbert's out there being what Josh Allen was year one. He's throwing dimes. This wasn't the dude that you see in college. Like, the dude you see now, folks, that wasn't the dude you saw in college. You could see the talent that's associated with this dude, but this wasn't the same dude, right? And again, the game I was most impressed by him, with him by, he used his legs for, I think, three touchdowns against Wisconsin. So this wasn't the same dude. And I don't mind missing on him. And I will admit it. That dude is a baller. He is balling. If you want to say he's a top five quarterback, I won't. But if you want to say that, I understand. You're probably putting that whole age and expect him to get better. And I do. I expect him to get better into that. But all I'm saying is the dude you're seeing now, he didn't play like that in college. So you can get on people who were saying the stuff I was saying. We were saying it based on what he put on film. And maybe it was other stuff. Maybe... Now that he has more free time instead of studying his tail off in college, because he was an excellent student with a with a solid major, maybe now he can dedicate all that to his craft, and it's made him so much better. But in this game, you had a team that played competent football with a really good quarterback against a team that played incompetent football from a turnover perspective. And the final result was the Chiefs losing by six, 30 to 24. The Chargers getting the victory here. Again, I had the Chiefs winning this. I thought the Chiefs would cover that seven and a half, uh, six and a half. It got cut. It got bet up to seven and a half, <laughs> and so it made it a lot easier. I would have actually told you to take the Chargers covering if you got it game day. I hate that hook. That hook is the decision maker in a lot of situations. And for those that don't really know, probably shouldn't be betting. But the hook is a half point off of a certain number. It's a half point period, but it's usually off of certain numbers. It dictates your decision making. So the over-under on this was 54.5. And guess what? The, yeah, it was the under, but only by a half a point. I had a five on that from confidence standpoint. I told you not to touch this game. So hopefully it didn't when it came to the over-under. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons playing against the New York Giants. And I had a feeling that this was going to be one of those games because I feel like the Giants are going to have one of those seasons. Early on, after the first preseason setup, I thought the Raiders were going to fall into this trap. When you're talented enough to win games, but you find ways to lose, it'll spiral down and you can have a season where you're picking the top five. Um, I actually thought that was going to be the Raiders, but it looks like the Raiders are going to be a real team for the rest of the year. The Giants are doing that. The Giants are losing games to more talented teams, okay, and the Broncos. Losing games to teams that they outplayed, again, against the football team. And losing team game games to teams that they are more talented and more physically gifted than and outplay against the Falcons. It's it's crazy. So expect more of the same from the Giants until they figure some stuff out. So I had the, the Falcons winning by three. That was my whole thing. I really had a feeling that this was gonna be one of those those games where the the the, the less talented team got the W. And yeah, the Falcons won 17 to 14. So the Giants were three-point favorites. I had confidence of uh eight on the Falcons here to cover and they won straight up uh, by three the over under was 47.5 technically I had the over but I only had a five on that because I said I don't have a lot of faith in this don't touch it and it was 31 because you can't tell what type of game is going to be played here uh, 
when you have two defenses that aren't great and two offenses that have talent, but it looks like the defense has played better than expected. Next game is the Cincinnati Bengals at the Pittsburgh Steelers in this divisional matchup. Look, straight up, I had the Steelers losing this game to the Bengals. I had the Bengals winning 23-20. On the final score, the Bengals came near it, but the Steelers didn't. 24-10 Bengals. I mean, talked about it at nauseum. You've heard it from everyone. Ben, is, his arm is cooked. Um, not much he can do. He can launch the deep ball and throw it about 45 yards down the field. Um, but if you can't, that's to me, that's not... like. Quietly, Drew Brees could have done that last year too, but Drew Brees isn't that guy. Um, being cooked is a guy who can't throw a 10-yard in. Um, and Brees could still do that last year, even with you know some restriction. Ben can't do that. They're not even trying that. Najee Harris had like, I think he had 14 receptions on 18 targets. That's absurd. That should never happen. Your running back should not be getting that unless, he should not be getting that, period. So the line on this is the Steelers by three. I didn't understand this. I had the Bengals with a confidence level of seven covering this. Again, winning straight up, and they won by 14. The over-under was 43 and a half. I had the under, but I said this could end up being a sneaky shootout, and it was not. So the under did cover, but I actually told you stay away from this one from an over-under perspective. They got to do something. Some people want them to call Cam Newton. Um, that makes a little more sense than the Washington football team calling him um, because I think he bring in Cam Newton and you keep grooming Dwayne Haskins to see if he's going to give you something. I, unlike some people, or a lot of people, have hope and faith that in a good environment, this guy can mature, which was his biggest issue. Uh, but I wouldn't throw him out in the fray yet when you can bring a guy in there who can honestly go do some of the stuff that you need done to free up uh, some of these receivers uh, and not make you put Haskins in before he's ready. So getting to this game, because this is a fun one for me. The Arizona Cardinals and the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is the last game on the 1 p.m. slate. Um, so I had the Cardinals winning this, but only 31-27. I thought the Jags would be able to put up points. I thought that they would play some competent football. I, as I've stated, like Trevor Lawrence as a prospect and as a player. And I think that he's given the opportunity to make mistakes. And if they've cleaned some stuff up, they can start to be a more competitive team. Well, the Cardinals put up 31, but the Jags only put up 19. So the Cardinals are seven and a half point favorites. I had the Jags with a confidence level of six covering. Cardinals covered uh, the over-under on this. I had an over uh, on this one, a confidence level of seven on that 52. So it was the under at 50. And what I will say is, again, I will reiterate, I think that this season is a good thing for Trevor Lawrence as long as he doesn't get killed in the in the interim. I I want him to have really terrible games like this, not because he deserves it, but how do you recover from that adversity? And I think that he seems like a strong enough character mentally to be able to do so. But he can't throw ever again that ball that he threw on that flea flicker. That was the that was the worst pick I've seen this year. You can't make that type of mistake. And he laughed it off, and I'm not mad at him. Like some people were like, you know, you got stuff on the internet, people. It's, it's ridiculous he laughed it off. What do you expect the guy to do? Go cry? No, he laughed it off like, crap, that was stupid. That's how I took it. I didn't take it as, he doesn't care. I took it as, he goes, damn, that was stupid. I can't do that. So, just don't do that again, and you'll be good to go. Um, that's the takeaway in this game. Honestly, the Cardinals are the Cardinals. They're going to keep winning games that they probably should win. Um, but I need them to beat a team that's an actual, like, I want to see them play against the Rams. 
and they, they don't even have to beat them for me to be like, okay, I'm going to convince. You, you, you lose a game by three of the Rams and a competitive one, I know that you can go toe-to-toe with folks. Okay? So that's what I need to see out of them. But they're 3-0, and and that's a good enough start. So let's move on to the 4 p.m. slate of games here. The first one is the Jets at the Denver Broncos, and oh, my goodness. Pardon me for thinking that a guy who I do think is talented in Zach Wilson and a team that I don't think is bereft of talent to the point that people think it is, especially at the skill positions. I know there's injuries on the offensive line, but come on. This is not one of the least talented teams over the last five years. It's not, but they damn sure play like it. The Broncos beat the brakes off the Jets. 26 to nothing. That's pitiful. Goose egg being put up with guys like Elijah Moore, Corey Davis on, on the team, Michael Carter in your backfield. It's it's just, that's pitiful. Um, the line on this was the Broncos by 10 and a half, and I actually had the Jets covering by my score of 27-17, my prediction, but I only had a conference level of four, and I even think I stated on the last show, I don't know what Jets are going to show up, but if they play to what they have, they shouldn't get destroyed in this game. They should make it competitive. And they got destroyed. They didn't play to the level. That's an, that's an indictment on the coaching staff, period. That's an indictment on the rookie quarterback, but to a much lesser degree. Can he stop making some of the dumb choices he's making? Sure. But, I mean, I think I'll give him this. Maybe he believes he has to do some of these dumb YOLO, like Superman things because of what's going on in that building. Maybe he just doesn't trust stuff. I don't know this guy. I don't know anything about it. All I know is what I see on film. And I'm trying to come up with a way to understand why he makes some of the decisions he's making and try some of the stuff he tries. And maybe it's because they don't have a good hold or grip on what they're doing yet. And the under hit, obviously. The over-under was 41 and a half, and it was one of the lower over-unders of the week. I was like, oh, you know, okay, they can they can beat that. Give it a conference level of seven. Wrong. Broncos held up their part of the bargain, but the Jets definitely didn't. Next game is the Miami Dolphins and the Las Vegas Raiders in a game where I actually thought that the Dolphins would get kind of manhandled. Uh, had the Raiders winning a low-scoring one since Derek Carr was coming off of an injury, uh, 21-14. But it became a shootout, and with a pick-six put up early on, it looked like it could be one of those trap games for a team that has... I think the Raiders have played well. Period. So they end up winning in overtime 31-28, their second overtime win of the year, which is a big deal in my opinion. You got to win those games, especially when you're supposed to. So the line was four for the Raiders. I had a confidence level of nine. I didn't go with a lock on it because I know the Dolphins are a competent team. But the Raiders only won by three. What are you going to do? I'm sorry if you bet on that and listen to me. My apologies. The only ones that I'll stand by are my Stone Cold Locks, the ones I put a 10 on. And like I said, I'm 4 for 4 on those this year. I'm a little taken aback by putting a 9 on something that had this happen, but that's why I didn't put a 10 on it. It's just, I, I didn't know what the Dolphins were going to put out there. As far as the final line, uh, not the final line, the final over-under. I had the under in this one. I thought it would be more of a defensive battle. I like both defensive units, but when you get a pick six to contribute to it, some short field stuff, some oddities, including a safety, I, a lot of stuff that happened in this game where I'm just confused as to why it happened. The over hit pretty aggressively, a 15-point over. So 
I got that one wrong too, and I had a confidence level of seven on that, so sorry for that, folks. This game is one of those games where I just got it completely wrong. The whole personality of this game was not near what I thought it was going to be. The next game up was probably the game of the week, and for some, an NFC Championship preview. For me, I think the NFC West will be playing in the NFC Championship. I'll just leave it at that. And that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to visit the Los Angeles Rams. Yes, Bucks fans, you heard me. I think you lose your first playoff game. Period. So anyway, um, my prediction was a close one. I actually thought that Tampa would be more competitive on the defensive side of the ball, and I thought it would be a 28 to 26 final score. Uh, part of it was the Bucks being able to get into the red zone but not being able to score, and then having to go for too late and messing it. That was actually my prediction. Uh, but the final score was 34 to 24 Rams, and it wasn't that close to be honest. They were in there with some garbage time trying to do this for Tom Brady. Because they wanted to put his numbers up. So the Rams covered, which I had the Rams covering, but didn't have a lot of confidence in. I had confidence in the over, I mean, in the under, I should say. It was 55.5 is the over under. And if not for some garbage time uh, from the Ram, uh, from the Bucks, um, that probably does cover. Uh, I had a confidence level of eight on it, and they ended up getting 58 points, and the over came on that one as well. Uh, good luck next week to New England. That's all I have to say on that. And the next game that's up on the slate, the final of the 4 p.m. slate before we get into the two primetime games, that's going to be Seattle Seahawks to the Minnesota Vikings. We mentioned this earlier. I told you. I have no clue what's going on with Seattle, but until further notice, I can't put up a, a prediction like I did uh, for this game. I had Seattle winning 31-27. I thought it would be an entertaining and high-scoring game, and one team showed up for the entertaining and high-scoring side. The other one showed up for half of it. And that was the Vikings winning 30-17. to 17. The Vikings, Seattle showed up early, and then the Vikings showed up late. Something's going on in Seattle. I have no clue what it is, but they got to get it fixed. The Seahawks were one-and-a-half-point favorites. I had a confidence level of seven on this, thinking it would be a good competitive game, but the Vikings would lose by four. Uh, the Vikings won, so I got that one wrong for you. The over-under 55.5, I had the over of this with a confidence level of seven. Again, both of these defenses have played pretty uh, interesting football over the last couple of weeks. So I thought that more points would be put up. Again, the Vikings held up their end of the bargain. Seattle just couldn't. The Sunday night game here, the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. I had some good eyes on this game. And the game flow went kind of like I expected. I had the Packers winning 27-24. Uh, shout out to the mistake that was made um, on a personal uh, a friend's pool. Because I picked the Packers and somehow I ended up picking the 49ers. But... I put it on wax and on my show that I had the Packers winning 27-24. And it came close to that. The Packers went 30-28. Just kind of the game floor expecting. Aaron Rodgers was able to throw the ball uh, in certain places and get some things done. Uh, Devontae Adams is a beast. And on the San Francisco side, they still have some issues at the quarterback position. Uh, it won't be solved by bringing Trey Lance in as the full-time starter. But um, Jimmy G is... He's Jimmy G. The expectation should not be high from him. And what I mean is he is a lower level starting quarterback in the NFL. So you don't place top 10 or even 15 uh, assessments on him. You, you you think he's number 25 in the NFL as a quarterback. I think that's fair to say. He can play up to number 20 if on certain weeks, but that's just where he is. He's that type of starter. He's a back-end starter. Uh, as far as the the line, the 49ers were a three-point favorite, so I had the Packers uh, 
covering with a confidence level 8 on it. I was pretty sure. And the Packers did cover because they won straight up. Um, the over-under was 50. So I had the over on this with a confidence level of 7. Got that one right too with uh, 58 hitting the over on the over-under. And in this game, like I said, uh, people were like, oh, the 49ers should panic. No, the 49ers need to figure out why the heck they keep getting all these injuries. Because that seems to be their biggest issue. Injuries resulting in attrition, and that makes things not go the way you want them to go. And also the quarterback is, he is what he is. Not bad. Not really good. But just above average, I guess. Average to above average, depending on the week. And then the Monday night game. I said it when I started the show, I'll say it again. Full disclosure, I did not watch this in live action. I woke up to the comments, and I also saw the highlights. Um, the Cowboys, I picked them to win the division. I think they're for real. I don't think they're a Super Bowl team, but I do think that they're a competent team that will get some things in front of you that you might not like. And as far as the Eagles, they got to figure out what they're going to do from a game planning perspective. Like I said, Jalen Hurts was objectively bad last night. You know, some underthrows, things like that. It looked like he tried to throw that that deep go on the sideline. It wasn't that deep, but he tried to throw it perfectly, and he didn't get. He didn't. He could either flatline it to the back of the end. If he's gonna throw it there, he can throw it flatter, so there's enough room for his receiver to run underneath it, since he did have the guy beat. But if he's gonna throw a drop shot like that, he's got to put it in the back corner of the end zone, so it can be caught over the shoulder and tap feet. So, definite mistake there. I'm not going to sit here and act like the guy didn't make mistakes, and he made multiple mistakes. But again, seventh start. <laughs> with a game plan where they ran the ball three times with the running backs, they got to figure some stuff out. Hey, Sirianni, just giving you some advice here from a person who doesn't know as much about coaching as you. The Ravens were down to the Chiefs the whole time, but maintained their game plan of still running the ball. The game script didn't say you immediately had to just scrap the running game unless you A, don't trust Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, or any other running back on that that roster, or B, you can admit that you just made a mistake. It happens. You're a rookie coach. You don't have to say, well, the game flow was the reason that we did it, because that's a mistake. You can mitigate some of the issues in the high scoring by possibly running the ball more, getting more design runs for your quarterback, some, some, some tap passes, things like that, misdirection. Maybe it's helpful, but again, what do I know? So I had the Cowboys winning 23 to 20 in this one, like I said, but the Cowboys beat the crap out of them, 41 to 21. Uh, the Cowboys are four-point favorites, so I had the Eagles actually covering, and I actually thought that this was a sneaky game that Eagles could win because while the Cowboys are good and doggone good, I thought that these were fairly even teams, so that's why I had the Eagles covering. Um, but the Cowboys beat the crap out of them. Apparently, it wasn't as close as the score on the scoreboard. And then that over-under, I had an under because, again, I think the Cowboys' defense is better than people want to give it credit for being. But I also think that the Eagles' defense is not as bad as it was last night, apparently. So that 51.5, I put the under, but only a conference level of three because a shootout could break out with the talent that they have at each quarterback's position. Uh, and Dak made sure that happened. Jalen kind of failed in that last night. But again, young quarterback, much like I give... Young quarterback as the moniker to the Trevor Lawrences and Zach Wilsons and anyone of the world who has less starts than the amount of fingers you have. And that's with me using the whole adage of thumbs not being fingers. You have less than eight starts. It's possible that you're not a finished product yet. So that's the recap of all the games. 
again, I might have some of these rants that come up. I'm hoping that the further we progress as a society, the less we have to have rants from people like myself. Because I will say this, I've had my issues and I've also been incorrect in making assessments based on my own biases. Why? Because they were there and I'm human. But I try my best to get past those and make those better and gain a better understanding so I don't make the same mistakes that I've made or that our ancestors have made. So I'm hoping that the people who do this, whether it's as a labor of love or whether it's as a paid professional, just admit that you can get better too. And if you're missing on a certain type of quarterback like I was, or if you're missing on a certain type of player, especially that quarterback position because of how sensitive this country seems to be over people that look like me being in leadership positions, maybe you need to take a second and go and talk to someone who may be able to tell you what to look for because I've done the same thing to try to understand what I might have been missing with a guy like a Justin Herbert Um, all I'm saying is we can be better if we actually want to be it's just unfortunate that it feels like some people whether it's based on hate or more often in my opinion hubris refuse to so enjoy you know the rest of your Wednesday, uh, I will be back tomorrow with Turf Talk Thursdays, and we'll get into the next uh, week slate, week four of the NFL season. Until then, folks, uh, take care. And I always forget to do this, but for the new listeners, don't sign off yet. You can follow me on Twitter. That's the best place to get my football uh, information. And my handle is at CJFlorida9. That's at CJ, the entire state of Florida, spelled out in the number nine. Um that, that's, again, where I put my football stuff up. I work with Football Game Plan and the gentlemen who work over there. Uh, Emery Hunt, Teron Davenport, Gene Clemens, Brandon Howard. Um, and you can actually follow those guys. I love to give out this information because they're great follows. Even if you don't agree with everything they're saying, the good thing is you're going to get a perspective that has some backing to it. And that's a big thing. So you can follow Emery at Fball Game Plan on Twitter. You can follow Tehran at T Davenport underscore NFL. You can follow Gene at Gene Clemens. And you can follow Brandon at B Howard underscore 81 on Twitter. Again, great follows. Again, even if you don't fully believe in what they're saying, understand it's coming from a place of education and just give it a chance to actually understand that perspective because that's how you gain uh, a better understanding of the game. I try to do the same thing. Take care, folks, and I will talk to you tomorrow.